Mark 11, 22 says this, have faith in God. I want to talk from this subject in our time together, fertilizing your faith. We'll talk about fertilizing your faith. There's a scriptural adage that I'd like to explore in this introduction. This, this adage I'm referring to is found in a couple of places in the pages of scripture and it goes something like this. The just shall live by faith. I think the profundity of that proclamation is not just revealed in what is said. It is also revealed in what isn't said. The just shall live by faith. It is as if the writer is subliminally or maybe even unintentionally asserting that faith should not just be used as a response to crisis. Faith should be used as a way of life. I'm going to say that one more time. If you're feeling me already, put teach in the chat. Here it is. Faith should not just be used as a response to crisis. This means that when my world falls apart, when my foundation is fragile, when my emotions are unreliable, I'm not saying we should not reach for faith during those seasons. We should. What I am saying is that this, this adage, this scripture I just referenced is suggesting that that should not be the only time we reach for faith. That, that faith should not just be used as a response to crisis. Faith should be used as a way of life. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7. He says, one translation puts it this way, for we walk by faith, yeah. not by sight. Another says, for we live by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. Walking systematic and sequential patterns of movement that get you from one place to the next. So the way we get from one place to the next in life should be by faith. So the way the relationship goes from one level to the next level is by faith. The way my mind goes from one level to the next level is by faith. The way my, my, my career goes from one level to the next level is by faith. So faith shouldn't just be used to get me out of burdens. Faith should be used to get me into blessing. The just shall live by, walk by faith. I want you to catch this now. <laughs> Maybe, catch this now. Maybe then, this is one of the reasons Jesus talks about this so much. Maybe Jesus understand something he's trying to get across to us. And that's this. I can't get life right if I'm getting faith wrong. It's as if Jesus is saying you cannot afford to underemphasize this area of your spiritual life because every other thing I'm teaching you 
will not be something you're able to walk into independent of faith. I said, I'll give you rest. You don't get that unless you believe rest exists. I said, come on. He said, I, I said, I'll give you peace, not like the world gives. So you don't get that kind of peace unless you believe there's a peace that exists outside your possessions. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? He said, he said I, I, I'll give you joy, unspeakable and full of glory. He said, you don't get that unless you believe that exists. Maybe this is the essence of what he's articulating here in this passage. In Mark, notice what Jesus says to disciples and apprentices of his who have just witnessed him do the extraordinary. He's just used words to speak to a tree. And in 24 hours, the tree withers at the root. They, walked, they saw the disciples, his mentees, his apprentices. They saw the tree before Jesus spoke to it. And then they come back 24 hours later and see the tree after Jesus speaks to it. They're impressed by it. They're in awe of it. And Jesus says, don't just look at me, learn from me. Come on, I've taught you this because I didn't do what I did with the tree just to show you what I can do. I did what I did with the tree to show you what you can do if you use the tools I'm using. So he says, let me show you how I did that. Let me give you the key. Let me give you the plug. Let me give you the secret sauce. If you want to know how I did that, let me show you how. Because I'm God and I came in human form not to show you how to be God. I came in human form to show you how to be optimally human. I came as a human to model to you what's possible for you if you'll use what I'm using. Listen, he says, he says to the disciples, and he says, all right, so if, if, if you in principle, not necessarily in practice, but if you in principle want to do in your life what I did with this tree, if you want, <laughs> if you want, something, you want something big to happen fast, <laughs> <laughs> if you want accelerated advancement if you want in a 24 hour period something to look completely differently than it did 24 hours later <laughs> this is what he says he says if you want to do that let me give you the key have faith in God now when we explored this last week we examined the first part of the passage, first part of the proclamation, which was have faith. And we talked about the different types of faith. But that's not all Jesus said. He says something that seems so insignificant, but is uniquely and incredibly important. He says, have faith, 
not in faith. So you got to be careful now because unconsciously it's possible to have faith in faith. No, no, no. Don't have faith in faith. Faith doesn't work because of faith. Faith works because of God. Purpose of faith isn't just to give me what I want. Purpose of faith is to give me what he wants. Faith doesn't alter the will of God. Now, boy, let, let, me, let me put It accomplishes the will of God. Now, here it is. Faith will not get you more than what you're supposed to have. But a lack of faith will get you less than what you could have. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? So he says, have faith in God. Why would he say, have faith in God? Well, this is the way one theologian put it. Martin Luther, he says, the quality of a person's faith is going to be largely determined by the quality of what they put it in. So if the person I put my faith in is unreliable, I'm going to have unreliable faith. If the person I'm putting my faith in is inconsistent, then I'm not going to have consistent faith because the quality of my faith is based on the quality of who I'm putting it in. And I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me something here. That a faith problem isn't always a faith problem. A faith problem is sometimes a God problem. Maybe nothing wrong with your faith. Maybe your faith actually matches your God. <laughs> Maybe our faith is small because our God is. Maybe we're trying to develop a faith that's actually bigger than our God. Maybe based on who your God is or the way you've reduced him in your mind. Maybe the faith you have is consistent with the God you serve. Small God, small faith. So if what Martin Luther says is correct and I believe it is, it means that building faith requires more than hearing teaching about faith. That just gives me more knowledge about faith. Maybe building faith actually means challenging ourselves and others to reevaluate our view of God and to make sure that our faith is going into the God of the Bible, what's this? The, the, the God that the Bible gives us, not the God that religion gave us. What, what, what do I mean here? This is what J.I. Packer says. He says, we are all beneficiaries of good, wise, and sound tradition. 
And he says, and we are all victims of poor, unwise, and unsound traditions. It means, are y'all okay? Now, I've seen this happen on every level. I was reading this book by this one guy. He used to be, uh, I'm not going to call the name of the, of the, uh, of the school, uh, but he was a professor at a school. It's a pretty reputable school, school in conservative camps. And uh, this school is historically known to be what's called cessationist. Now, that's not where I land theologically, and that's not where our church is theologically. We'll be what's called continuationist. So we believe in the perpetuity of, uh, of spiritual gifts, okay? Um, I believe if you lock somebody in free of bias, lock them in a room, and have them read the New Testament for 30 days, and they're reading it objectively, that if they come out of that experience, they're going to have uh, very little uh, scriptural backing to land at a cessationist position, which that's, that's not a, it's not a primary issue. It's a secondary issue. So if we disagree on that, it's not a big deal. It has no eternal consequences, right? That's, that's not a prerequisite for getting to heaven. I do think it, it impacts your experience on earth. So he, the point is, there's this professor at the school and he said, what was happening is students were coming before him in a panel defending their dissertation. And he would ask them certain questions. And they would give like the program answers that they got at the seminary. And so when he started asking them to defend what they believed without using the pre-programmed answers, they couldn't. And I feel like just like that takes place in in that context, it also takes place in religious context that sometimes our view of God is not a view we discover. It's a view that was programmed into us. And if someone says, explain it without using church rhetoric, without using Christianese, I hope I'm making sense here. And so this is what J.R. Packer is getting at. He's saying, all right, we probably got some good stuff, but all of the stuff that we got might not necessarily have been accurately aligned with Scripture. So what I, what I want to do is this. I, I, I want to say, hey, if we want to grow and build our faith, we need to reach for the right fertilizer. Yes, yes. And that's not necessarily more teaching on faith. It's right teaching about God. Because Jesus said, have faith in God. Watch this now. And he doesn't use a general word for God. (laughs) He is using a word for God that uh, implies, that speaks to the reality of the God that has revealed himself as Yahweh into the scriptures, in the scriptures. The God that David talks about when he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Say that God. What does it mean to, to practically engage in exploration? It means that there are three things we got to look at, and we're going to look at these three things throughout the remainder of this series. The first one is this, God's character. We got to look at that. Who is he? Two, God's competence. We got to look at that. What can he do? 
And three, I can't wait till we get to this one in a few weeks. God's covenant is what he's agreed to. Did you hear what I just said? It's what he's agreed to. It's what the apostle Paul talks about when he's talking to believers at Galatia. He say, if you be Christ, if, if you're Christ, if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Covenant. The word testament means covenant. It's an agreement. <laughs> so in our time together today, though, I want to spend some time in exploring and unpacking the first one, which is God's character. I'm going to give you three basic traits about God's character that I think every believer has to understand and embrace. Embrace if you're going to have something to actually anchor your faith in. Three traits that the New Testament teaches us about God's character. This first one is really simple, really important. When you hear it, I don't want you to automatically assume that you understand where I'm going with this. Here's the first one. God is good. You cannot fertilize your faith without a revelation of the goodness of God. Now, let's get into religious programming here. So if I say, God is good, you're going to say, put it in the chat, all the time. Put it in the chat. Go ahead. God is good. Come on, say it in the studio. All the time. Okay. Now, here's the next one. And all the time, okay. So we say that. Nothing wrong with that, okay? Nothing wrong with that statement at all. I'm just telling you that is a bit, that's programming. N nothing wrong with it. Here's, <laughs> here's my question though. What does that mean? If someone that I love is sick, what does that mean now? If someone that I've been good to and loyal to operates in betrayal with me, what does that mean? When I spend my entire life building a life only to have something beyond my control seemingly destroys what I've worked the majority of my life to build, what does that mean? Because I need more than programming when I'm under that kind of pressure. So when I say God is good, what does that mean? Because without that being clear, without us being clear on that, we have no fertilizer for our faith. <laughs> this is what Jesus says. In Mark chapter 10, verse 18, he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus is affirming the goodness of the Father. He is good. That's his nature. He's only capable of good. That's his actions. But he ultimately defines goodness. Goodness. That's his power. 
Now watch this. Sometimes we get confused about what is good because we're giving labels in the middle of something. This, I read something this week <laughs> uh, during my devotional time, and it's simply this. Everything, this is what the writer says, everything is messy in the middle. So if you go in the kitchen when someone's baking a cake, and they're in the middle of the baking, it's messy. And if you taste it before it's done, you wouldn't call it good. <laughs> if you go into an operating room, when a surgeon's in the yes. middle of surgery, yes, sir. what you will find yeah. is something that's messy. That's that's and if you label yeah. what's happening right then, yeah. you will label that by saying, that's not good. Because everything is messy in the middle. And what I have come to learn is that we've got to wait until God who declares the end from the beginning until God, who's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, until God is finished with a thing before we're able or willing or tempted to declare a thing good or not. God didn't say it was good. He said, I'm good. But because I'm good, if you give me enough time, if you will move past the middle, then I'll show you, I will take what the enemy meant for evil and I will work it for your good because I'm good. This is, this is, I put all of this in the Bible to show you that the world is not good. I put Job in the Bible to show you that bad things happen to good people. How can Peter serve me the way he served me and his mother-in-law get sick? Did you hear what I just said? I mean, Peter left his entrepreneurial endeavors to follow Jesus. He turned down income. He turned down freedom. Remember now, he answered to no one. Y'all are talking. He's an entrepreneur and he goes from an entrepreneur to running errands for Jesus. He gave... <laughs> He gave up all of that and, I, and his mother-in-law still got sick. And if he would have labeled if he would have labeled that situation if he would have come to a conclusion about the appropriateness of his decision to leave all of that if he had come to a conclusion about that in the middle he would have mislabeled it. In the middle, he just said, I can't believe my mother-in-law got sick. I gave up all of this and you let my mama get sick. I'm not even, I'm, I can't even be there with them because I'm following you around. My wife, my, wife, my wife is at home and she's trying, to, she's, trying to, she's trying to take care of her mother and I can't even provide her a support. If he would have went there, he would have went there prematurely. But at, the, but at the end, at the end, God because I'm good, I take what the enemy meant for evil and I squeeze some good out of it. He's good. So why is this important? 
It's important because this, this is what the Bible says. It says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk up right before him. So faith has to understand this. Faith has to be convinced that if he withholds it, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, if you're not giving this to me, it's not good for me. Maybe it's good for them. <clears throat> but maybe it's not good for me. Because I know you know me. I know me well, you know me better. So even though I think this is good for me, because you know me better than me, you know if it's really good for me or not. So when I believe and you withhold, I have to trust that you're not withholding something that's good. Maybe it's not good at all. Maybe it's not good for me. Maybe it's not good right now. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe it is good, but it's not best. <laughs> if I'm not convinced of this, when faith doesn't deliver me what I want, I can assume faith isn't working. When faith accesses what's good. God didn't say people are good. He didn't say life is good. He didn't say the world is good. He said, I'm good. If someone gets shot with a gun and they go to a surgeon, you don't blame the surgeon for the gunshot wound. Somebody else did it, but you don't blame the surgeon. That is exactly what happens sometimes, unfortunately, in religious spaces. Somebody else broke your heart. They shot you. But then we're blaming the one who's trying to fix it. I can't believe I got shot, surgeon. He's like, I'm trying to fix it. I told you it's dangerous out there. God is good. God is good. All right, here it is. Number two, God is gracious. This is important, y'all. Are y'all ready for this? If you're ready, I want you to, <laughs> if you're ready, <laughs> I want you to put I'm ready in the chat. If you're not ready, put I don't know. <laughs> put, a, put I don't know, PD. <laughs> okay, here it is. Here it is. God is gracious. Are y'all ready for this? So God's good. God's gracious. Okay. What does it mean? It means that if he's gracious, if he's good, he's good it means that his, the expression of his goodness is predicated 
on his nature, not mine. Uh oh. This is a little weird for me. But I want you to catch this. Are y'all ready for this? There's a theologian, Schlamacher, who he writes this whole essay on grace. And he calls grace scandalous. He say, this is scandalous. Because this can be abused. <laughs> but when it's, re- watch this, when it's received properly, the Apostle Paul says, it's not abused, it's inspiring. He's saying that, this, that God's commitment to be good. Are, are y'all here? Are y'all following me here? God's, com, God, God's commitment to be good is expressed through his graciousness. So his goodness is predicated on his nature, not mine. So uh, here's a, here, maybe here's a more appropriate way to explain it. It's this. You see, let me see if I can find an honest uh, uh, section here today. Here it is. Um, sometimes our nature <laughs> is predicated on their nature. Right? It's like, oh, you want to be funny? I'm funny acting too. You don't want to speak? I'm not going to speak either. You don't want to show up for me? I'm not going to show up for you. So the nature that I express, come on, as humans, the nature we express, sometimes the energy we give can be based on the energy we get. God says who I am has nothing to do with who you are. I am going to, when I could swear by no one greater, I swore by myself. When, he, when we are faithless, he is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He said, I committed to be good. I made a decision to be good. And so I'm going to express my goodness because I say I'm good, not because you deserve my goodness. Does that mean we should abuse? Should man continue in sin that grace should abound? God forbid. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying you don't have to always have it right for faith to work right. I'm done. I'm done. You got to get this. Because if not, the strength of your faith is going to be tied to your moral compass for the week. It's like, so it's like, if you have a weak week, then you're going to have weak faith. Because you've tied God's goodness to your nature instead of his. Do you know how many times people don't even release faith for, ask for, believe for what God rightfully wants to give? Because they feel like the week they had disqualifies them. And God's like, you know, grace qualified you the other week too. God's, God's, God's like, you, you, you do know that my standard and your standard sometimes are a little different. And when you think you're doing good, you're projecting your thoughts of your goodness on me. And so you think I think you did good that week because you think you did good that week. And I'm like, you really didn't do as good as that week as you thought you did. So what I gave you that week wasn't because of your goodness. 
because you weren't as good as you thought you were. What I gave you that week was because of my goodness. Be gracious. I'm full of grace. So come boldly. Boldly. Before my throne of grace. To obtain mercy. And grace to help. In the time of need. And if people don't get that. You can't have your faith fertilized. Well, you don't get grace, the soil of your faith becomes subject to pesticides. It's the weirdest thing, and I don't know why people are afraid of grace. It's, it's, it's so weird. It's like, no, people don't, ab- you don't abuse grace when you, when, you, when, when you get, when you understand grace properly. You don't abuse it. It is the goodness of God. That's what Paul says. That leads to repentance. The Hebrew of Hebrews. The the Pharisee of Pharisees. The Apostle Paul. Who was a proponent for the law. An advocate of the law. Zealous for the law. Clearly said rules don't work. He says God's goodness. That leads you to repentance. I'm gracious. I'm gracious. So what I want to do for you, I want to do for you what I want to do for you because I'm good. You walked away from me, but I said I'm married to the backslider because I'm good. I don't break covenant because I don't break my word. I'm a covenant keeper. I'm good and the broken things in your life I want to fix because I'm good and faith doesn't work right if we're getting this wrong God is good God is gracious here's one I had to get reprogrammed this is the area where I had to have reprogramming and number three that is God is generous This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Your son asks you for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you give him a rock. He says, which one of you would do that? He says this. Well, if he asks you for a fish, you're going to give him a snake? <laughs> he wants some catfish, you're going to give him a cobra? This is what he says. So if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him I had to be reprogrammed here because I thought viewing God as a generous God made me a materialistic man It's just, it's just programming. 
not realizing that that materialism, watch this, materialism is not tied to a number. You have nothing and be materialistic. Some people have nothing because they're materialistic. God says, I'm, I'm generous. So maybe there are things that are in your heart that that, <laughs> that, that you desire. See, it's, it's so weird, man. It's so, it's, it's, it's so weird how we can all fall into these like mental prisons and not even realize that we put God in there with us. We put God in a box. And God says, no, I'm, I'm generous. I don't want to just make you a conqueror. I want to make you more than. I don't want to just give you <laughs> what your eyes have seen, what your ears have heard. I want to, I want to do more than you ask, think, or imagine because I'm generous. And that generosity falls into two categories. Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. God says, I want to be generous in both of those areas. Those things that are going to make you more like me, I want to be generous there. And those things that you need in life, whether it's mentally, whether it's emotionally, whether it's relationally, whether it's professionally, whether it's financially, so I want to be I want to be generous. I believe the good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, applies to every area of my life. David put it this way, my cup runneth over. And I want God to be generous with joy. Be generous with joy. Let my cup run over with joy. Let my cup run over with peace. Let my cup run over with fulfillment. Watch this. See, when you break three of this prison, you don't have a problem saying, Lord, give me a life that glorifies you and one that I love. See, some people, you know, I know, if you're not there, that's fine. I'm there. Yeah, I wanted to glorify you, but I want a life I love. And you're a generous God. And you want to give that to me. So I'm praying today that your minds are expanded, man, and, and, and challenged to see these three areas as faith fertilizer. God is good. God is gracious. And God is generous. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do some mindset work here. Father, we're reminded of the question Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And upon Peter's response, you replied, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Just as you did for Peter, Father, I pray that you do for those that are watching Give them a revelation of who you are. That you are good, that you are gracious, 
and that you are generous. In Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands in the studio. Drop some fire in the chat. Oh. <laughs>